Romans chapter 8, and uh, we're going to be in verse 17 this morning here, and uh, we'll start reading in verse 15 again um, as we uh, go through uh, the issues here. Verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And uh, we've, uh, there's a lot of information here in this, in this little section as we're moving through Romans 8. I'm going slow on purpose because of the importance of not only the identification truths, but also what is happening here uh, that, uh, in, in connection with our adoption and uh, the spirit of adoption. And last time, we, were, we, we looked at that issue, uh, kind of got you thinking about it for the first time. Paul here is dealing with the issue of suffering. And for the first time, we're learning about not only who we are in Christ, we're adults, we're sons, and, but we're also learning about a future adoption, verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. There's that future aspect of our adoption. So we have one adoption, and it's got two components to it. It's got the component of now, and then a component of the future. If you come over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, and, and that is the, the issue here in, in all of this, and the aspect here is continue. It's fascinating, as we're going to look this morning at some issues in, in, in Romans 8, how Paul teaches us and how he works through the information. Look at 1 Timothy 4, look at verse 8. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that, notice that, now is and of that which is to come. So godliness has an aspect of now in time, and then out there in the future as well. So what we do now impacts the future. So when you come back into Romans 8, that's what he's saying. We have, a, we have been given the spirit of adoption. We have adoption. We've, we are declared to be sons. But now we also are going to begin to learn about this future component of our adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. We're going to get this new body, but we are not there yet. Until we are there, we get this great, wonderful thing called suffering that we're going to have to endure down through. You follow that? So when we get to, we have a future day, if you go back to Romans 8, if you look there in, in Romans 8, we have a future day, and that day out in the future will be where we will be placed where we will be manifested as the sons of God. If you look at verse 19, 819, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What's he, what is creation waiting for? The manifestation of the sons of God. Guess who is the first one to do that? In, it's going to be the church, the body of Christ. As we are, are what we, the event we call the rapture, we go through the events where presented to the Father, we're put out into the positions of the heavenly places, and when we do that, then what does creation know? Hey, it's about time, we're about to get fixed here. Who are they waiting for? The nation of Israel and the earth. So we have this future day where we're going to be placed into the heavenly places, and where we will be made manifest as the sons of God for all of the creation. We're, we're, and, and that's what, in Romans 8, that's, Paul does not give us the details here. The details are going to come in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Specifically Ephesians. Here, he's introducing us 
to, this cons- to the understanding that right now in time you're going to suffer. The condition of the present dispensation is a dispensation of suffering. But we have a guarantee, we have a promise of a future day where we have a new body and we no longer suffer. Okay? And that guarantee, the guarantor, is the Holy Spirit. The same one that has come in and empo- is going to come in and empower us, beareth witness with our spirit, the same, that third member of the Godhead, personally comes in now and he's going he's to work in you as you t- intake the, the word of God into your inner man. And he, the same guy that does that, that adopts you, that places you into the church, the body of Christ, that places you as sons, adults in that family, the same guy, the same guy, the, the same spirit is the one that guarantees. That's why First te- Ephesians 1, he's the spirit of promise. He's the earnest of our inheritance. He's the guarantee that it's going to happen. And now we know that. How does the Spirit bear witness with our spirit? We talked about this last time, a couple last couple times. He does it through the Word of God. And when you come to the Word of God, we have the guarantee of God's Word. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's the facts. And I... Dad always said growing up, he goes, you're, not, you're, you're never big enough a day in your life to make God do something that he ain't doing. And unfortunately, we tend to think that we can make God say and do stuff he ain't doing. Here it is. In the context here of chapter 8, he's given us the spirit of adoption. Again, notice it's capital S. This isn't the, the attitudes or the moods. This is actually the member of the, of, the, of, of the Godhead. And we have that guarantee. He's the power that will install us in the future, right now as sons, but in the future day as sons. That's, the context here as we go down is clear, but we're not there yet. What are we doing in verse 23? We're waiting. And by the way, we're waiting patiently, aren't we? <laughs> no. I hear, you know, you ask people, how you doing? You get an organ recital, you know. How you doing? How you, you know, this and that. And, and, and that's okay. It's not a, it's just, what do we know? Well, we know what's coming, don't we? We understand, verse 20, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same. Notice, in hope, creation has a hope. The hope is one day there's going to be the manifestations of the sons of God and everything's going to go back the way it was supposed to be. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also. We know what the, we understand what the physical groanings is, you know. The outward man perish. It's appointed unto man once to die. You know, right now, I read a report a couple years ago that they're worried about uh, medical advancements keeping people alive longer, so they're outliving their retirement plans. So what do you see happening? You see all these older generation going back to work because they're outliving things. So the thing is, yeah, yeah, he'll be back to work. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's, and that's, and by the way, then a year or two later, I read a thing in the Wall Street Journal business section that businesses were hiring, they called them gray hairs, because the gray hairs will be at work on time, do the job, and they understand what it is to work. The new, they did a lousy job training their children on a work ethic, because the new generation don't do that. They, they want it to be given to them, and so the you know, so the businesses are like, we'll just keep, we'll, if you want to work, we'll work, yeah, you know. But uh, anyway, that has nothing to do with Romans 8. We understand, come back to Romans 8 here, we understand that we have a guarantee of a future event. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's who we are. We're that way by the basis 
and by the transaction of the Spirit, which is based upon our faith, our trust in the shed blood, the cross work of Calvary. The moment that happens, Colossians calls it the operation of God, comes in and things begin to happen. And because of that, guess what we have? We have a glorious now. We are right now adults in the family. But then we have verse 23 that waiting for the adoption of, to wit, the redemption of our body, we have a future glorification, don't we? There at, in verse 18, where he says, I reckoned uh, that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you come over there at the end of verse 30, he also glorified. So we know about the future. We know about who we are now but also right now in the present. By the way, when you trusted Christ, was that today or was that in the past? That's in the past, okay? So past, who are we? We're, we're children, we're adults, we know who we are. Future, what do we have? A home in heaven, we have heavenly places, new body. But what about right now in the present situation? Right now. And that's what verse 17 is going to begin to introduce to us when he says, If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. There's, we, again, we know there's something going to happen in the future. Verse 19, we're manifest as sons of God. Verse 23, we have the redemption of our body. Verse 24, we're sustained and we're, when we're operating by the hope of that. Verse 30, um, I, we, you know, whom, moreover, whom, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. Whom he called them, he also justified. Whom he justified them, he also glorified. All past tense. It's all done. I said it last time, Romans 4 there. God has already concluded these things done. In our experience, we're, it's not done yet. <laughs> okay? We hurt. You know? We're here. But in God's estimation, where are we? We're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where we're at. If you look now here at verse 18, we have something that's going to happen in the future, but yet we're not there yet. We're not manifested yet. We're not in our new bodies yet. We're not glorified yet. So where are we? Well, we live in the present time or not... Uh, verse 18, sorry. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That is a wonderful verse that illustrates out for us the fact is, is that what Paul, God through Paul is beginning to drive into us is that you should not be looking for or seeking an intervention and a healing and a deliverance from God. You already have all that. It's in the future event. Right now in time, what you need to understand is, is you need to understand right now, you and I have a fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ right now. And you know what it's in the, in the area of? Suffering. One day it will be glory. One day we will be glorified with, one day we will be up there in the heavenly places, seated with but right now, we're, we ha so what Paul's going to do now in the, really the rest of 8 is he's going to talk about this fellowship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ right now in the area of suffering. Now again, if you look at verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. We looked at that aspect of that verse last time. We're... We are heirs of God. Titus 3, heirs of God inherit what? You remember? Eternal life. Titus 3, 7. So because we're in Christ, because we, 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 we trusted, placed our faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, what did we get? Eternal life. The justice of God looks at us and says, you are not righteous enough to have eternal life. Romans, the end, Romans 5. The end of Romans 5. But then you and I come to Calvary. Now the justice of God says you are righteous enough, perfect righteous, to now have eternal life. So you have eternal life now. All right? We're heirs. We're joint heirs, but then we're joint heirs with Christ. A joint heir. We share in common with Christ. Now think about that. 
we share in common with him in, the death in his death, burial, and resurrection. We share in common with him in an identity, in an inheritance. And that is going to be consistent with the way that God's dealing now with you and I. The father has a plan, an inheritance, an identity with his son. We have been declared to be sons. We have a jointness, a, a common interest here. We are, we have a joint, we, we share in common. Uh, Ephesians 5 over there, he says, we're bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. That's where we're at. And you'll, you'll think about the language here that Paul uses. He's constantly using in him, with him, through him, together. And, and it's, that's our identity. That's our jointness. So right now in time... We're in the, we, we are in fellowship, but we're going to be in fellowship with him in the area of suffering. And it's going to be a specific suffering. We're not with him in glory yet. We're not yet manifested. We're not there. Actually, those that have died, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 is clear. They're in the presence of the Lord. They're there. But what are they waiting for? Same thing you and I are waiting for, the redemption of the body. You can't, your body, your vehicle, this physical thing, this is how you interact with um, the surrounding around you. Have you ever heard the debate about whether water is really wet or not? Eh, don't waste your time, okay? <laughs> All right? So, you know, this is, this is millennials for you, you know. They come up, it's like, what? You know? So, does a fish think he's really wet? That's the, right? They get all this stuff going. But how do you relate to stuff around you? You have a physical body. Well, you need the same, same type of vehicle to interact into the heavenly places out there. You, if this body goes up, they just launched a space thing up there the other day. It came back. You know, can you imagine they landed that goofy rocket on a ship bouncing around in the ocean out there, and it landed perfectly? That SpaceX guys and stuff. I watched it. It was pretty cool. Up it went, and, it came, and the rocket booster came back so it can be reused. You know, we're saving the earth. You know, it was like, wow. But now they can't bring the guys down. They still splash them off in the, in the water out there. But when you think about when those guys go up there, what do they have to have? They can't just go. You see uh, the Tesla guy. What's his? I just, Elon Musk, and he shot his car up there with the guy riding in it. You know, a Tesla. He shot a Tesla up there and several years ago, and it's floating around out there. And they had... Uh, some song on it, you know, Beatles song or something about the world or whatever. And they said it'll last as long as the batteries in the car run and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, they, you can't do that. Why? Because if you go up there, you're, this body doesn't function in that atmosphere. And if, in Genesis, that, the outer space is called a closed firmament. You can't work in that environment. In your new body, guess what you can do? You can work there. So the folks that have died on, they're in the presence of the Lord. What are they waiting for? The new body. Why? They can't go to work. They can't go do. Okay? They don't have the constraints of a clock. You know, the, the, the Apostle Paul and those guys don't realize it's been 2,000 years or whatever. They don't think that way. They're not constrained by that. They're waiting to do what? They're waiting for the same thing you and I are. Until then. We get to do this wonderful thing called suffer. <laughs> and we get to do it with him. And as we begin to look at that issue next week, okay, we'll, have a, 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 we'll see what Paul says about it. But in verse 17, there is an issue that comes up that we need to address and to look at and to think about. And it's that issue of the if so be that. That little phrase right there, if so be, if so be that. That little phrase right there causes a lot of problems with people. 
because they read it certain ways. And again, it's going to depend on how you read the verse. Somebody asked me one time, what's your opinion on, you know, X, Y, Z? And I said, well, it depends on how you want to read the verses. If you want to read the verses X, Y, Z, that's great. If you want to read them Z, X, Y, then we got a problem. See? So when you read the, because what happens is, is some read this verse like this. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Some read that, that our joint heirship is conditioned upon us suffering. And they, they use the if. The if so be. And I was going to pull my big fat dictionary out here, but I didn't think it really needed to. And the issue then gets to be that your, our inheritance, our joint heirship, is conditional upon us suffering. But then they, can't, they just don't say that. Then they run over here and they say, here's what the suffering is all about. Because in Scripture, suffering is very specific. There's generally general categories of suffering just three ways. One is this passage here where you're going to suffer because of the sin curse on creation. The other one is Galatians 6 where you make bad decisions. You reap what you sow. If you're going to make bad decisions, guess what you're going to reap? Bad consequences. And then the third one is that one to Timothy where he says, Yea, all those who live godly shall suffer persecution. Those are the three broad categories but in, that, in those, there is this issue of suffering. Come over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. So when we begin to talk about the issue of suffering, we need to deal with this if. And we need to deal with the if so be that, <laughs> that phrase, okay? But just real quick, look at Philippians 1, look at verse 29. For unto you... It is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29. So, and by the way, that's the suffering type that Paul's going to talk about in, in Romans 8 when we get into it. Philippians 1.29. That you're going to suffer for who? For him. So when you come back here to Romans 8, and as, again, I'm trying not to get into the suffering because this is a technical issue here and hopefully you don't get pulled into this, but I know in the past years there's been some controversy in our own circles about how to read this, the if so be. And again, it depends really, could, can you read this as, as your joint heirship is conditioned upon uh, you suffering? You could read it that way. But that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what Paul is talking about at all. I don't believe that Paul is, pl is placing a condition upon our joint heirship. Because we are, what? Sons. That's who we are. We are. Joint heirs already. Right now, we are experiencing that joint heirship. It's just going to be in the realm, not of glory, but of suffering. So when you come to this, Paul is not saying that the only way to be a joint heir is by suffering. Because now we have to determine what is the suffer. Is the suffer a bad back? Is the suffer... Uh, a hurt leg, sciatica, bad, you know, is the suffering a broken arm? What is the suffering now, see? So now we have to hone down into that, and now, who, now who's making those decisions? You are. That's why over there when Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh, he never identifies what it is, because then we'll all have it so that we can claim what Paul's claiming. You can already claim what Paul's claiming without having that. Because the reason, the issue isn't what it is, the issue is going through this. So the, 
We are joint heirs. We share in common. We're in fellowship with him in everything. Right now in time, it's in the area of suffering. So as we look, then the question is, is, all right, why does he say, if so be, that? Why doesn't he just say, you know, since we're going to suffer, we're going to do this? Why does he say it this way? See, why does he use the if? Now, I'm not going to give you a big grammar lesson. You can look, you know, figure that out on your own. But the word if in English has four conditions. In the books, it's called 0, 1, 2, 3. In Greek, it's got four conditions. Those conditions are called 1, 2, 3, 4. <laughs> so there's four conditions. In Scripture, only two of those conditions are really ever referenced and used. Now, as soon as I say that, the yahoos on Internet will get, Oh, no, you got to do this. I'm not, I'm, we're talking about Paul. Okay? I'm not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not talking about the Greek. We don't read the Greek. I'm, not talk- I'm talking about when we come to Paul's epistles, he uses this phrase five times. And he uses the if quite a bit, actually. But he uses it in, in one of two ways. The first way is, is if can mean Maybe it is, or maybe it is not. What would that gender? Doubt. Question. Right? Or he's, it's used, it can be used to imply not doubt, but certainty. This is a fact. If Bill Gates is a billionaire, he can buy his own lunch. Right? How's that if? That isn't an if of doubt. Is there any doubt he's a billionaire? No. It's a, it's a truth. He's a billionaire, and he should buy his own lunch. Okay? What's that? Exactly. Okay? So the two ways, that's the two ways. Now, Paul five times uses the if so be that, that phrase. And every time he uses that phrase that way, it is to imply certainty. He is confident. It's a fact. He never uses it to imply doubt. He never uses the if so be that, that, if so be that, that phrase, as a, to imply a condition you better do this or you don't get that. He never says that. Do you follow me? Okay. So as a teacher, have you ever noticed, uh, you're in Romans 8, I hope. Have you ever noticed when you listen to churches and, or you go online or something that they're always in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Or they're always telling you the big stories in the, in the Old Testament? You know, let's look at Elisha today, faithful man. Right, but when they come to Romans to Philemon, they they really never go there. They love Acts because they can spin Acts to say whatever they want it to say. You know, the reason for that is how is Romans to Romans to Philemon are epistles. Actually, Romans to Revelation is epistles. Epistles are letters of doctrine written to a student. Their design is to teach. So in the use of the word if, how does a teacher, a good teacher, what does a good teacher do in teaching? Causes the students to do what? Think. I could tell you stories all day long. We could have a great time. The room would be packed. We would be at four services a day. You know, boom, right? But if you got to think, you know, the average Christian today unscrews his head, leaves it in the car, locks the door, and comes into church. You ask people, what'd you learn at church? And they'll go, I don't know. I have no clue. Why? Because they're not engaged to think. And when you come here to Paul, he's going to make you think. 
And he's going to make us think this through. Pay attention to what's going on. Why doesn't Paul say, since we're going to suffer, or because we will suffer, or as the fact, you know, as is the fact we're going to, why does he say, if so be that? Well, he does it to make you think it through. He does it so that you would come to a logical conclusion and that conclusion is the same conclusion that God would have you come to. If all, I hope you get that. God says to Israel, come, let's reason together. Come up here and let's sit and let's think. And Paul's doing the same thing. Paul in 2 Timothy 2 will say, consider what I say. Well, when you consider something, what are you doing? You're thinking it through. You're not just saying, eh, you know, hey, was it hot yesterday? How'd you know it was hot yesterday? The news lady told you. Or you did what? Went outside. But you considered it to be what? Hot. So you didn't go out in your, your snow parka and boots and all that. You went out in your shorts and flip-flops and tank tops. Or long, well, for us that burn easy, long sleeve shirts, <laughs> you know. You consider, Paul, Paul, Romans 12. You're in Romans. Look over at Romans 12. Yes, I mean, if you think about this, the if isn't a problem to you, quite honestly. Look at Romans 12. Look at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto you, which is your, what? Reasonable. Service. You're going to think this through. You're going to pay attention. In chapter 14 and verse 5, Paul will say, Let every man be persuaded in his own mind. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself. Study. What is stu study is thinking this through. Now, come back here to Romans 8. So when he begins to use this issue of if, so be, and if so be that, actually, we need to take it, by the way, look at verse 18. For I, what? Reckon. If you're an accountant, you know what reckoning is. Reckon, to reckon in, is an accounting term, and that's to tabulate, to figure, to, to move the figures, to tabulate it. So how do you reckon the truth? Well, you tabulate it into the realm of your thinking. The spirit, the spirit beareth witness with our spirit. Where does the spirit, how does the, what is the spirit doing with your spirit? He's causing you in the realm of your thinking to think some things through. Just don't take it for the, for, you know, the word of, of the preacher. <laughs> yeah, work it through. On Monday night, on Monday nights, on uh, Wednesday nights in, in Mark, we did, uh, this past week, we did some things on the baptisms and talking because we're talking about John the Baptist. And you know what? You have to have all of that in the back of your mind as you go through the Gospels about water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, fire baptism, all of those. I gave like seven or nine or 12 or 15 of them. We were talking about them. But see, the thing is, is you've got to have all of that back. You know why? Because you've thought it through. It's fascinating to me to, to watch... Paul will do this. He will start here. We're in Romans 8. We're just getting started. And he's going to establish some principles here in our foundation. He doesn't give us the details till the book of Ephesians. But what are we now doing? We're now thinking through the issues of suffering. We're thinking through this joint heirship, this commonality that we have with Christ. So when Paul uses the if... It's to get the reader to come to the same logical conclusions that God has come to. Now come back to Romans 3. Let's look at some ifs, and then I'll give you the five. Uh, when we get there, I'll make sure you get the point here on the if, and then we'll give you the five times he uses it. The, what, by the way, the first, 
the, the two of them are in Romans 8, the verse 17, obviously, and then we'll get back up in verse number 9. Look at Romans 3, look at verse 29. Notice the questions. Is, God, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Note, why ask those questions right here? Why does he ask, is he the God of the Jews only? What's he trying to get the reader to do? Think about this. Think this through. He's provoking you to think. You know, no, no question's a dumb question, they always say. But when a teacher asks questions, what's it designed to do? Get the, to think. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham our father, as pertained to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were just, see that, for if Abraham, if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scriptures? Again, what, what should we be learning here? There's no glory in the flesh. We ought to be over here walking by faith. Look at down, look at down in chapter 6. Chapter 6. Actually, stop in your way in chapter 5. Chapter 5. Well, chapter 6. Let's do that one. Verse 1. 6 1. What shall we say then? Look at that. What shall we say to this? Why do, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Why didn't he just say, you're dead to sin, chapter 7, verse 1. Why didn't he just say, you're dead to sin and move on? Because what is he trying to do to us? What shall we say then? He's provoking us to think. He's provoking us to come to the same conclusions that God would have us come to by reasoning it through, logically thinking it through, saying, listen, if he did that and I'm that, then I'm going to live this way. And I'm not going to go live in sin. I'm going to go live in who I am in Christ. He could say that all day long. You know what would happen? We would read 6.1 and just, okay, what shall we say then? We're dead to sin. And just keep reading. Chapter 7. We wouldn't understand the mechanics of it. We wouldn't understand how to go through it. I took shop class one time in high school, and we were rebuilding small engines and uh, lawnmower engines, you know, and uh, the teacher was like, bring yours from home. Dad says, don't you touch that thing, because <laughs> if you break it, it ain't coming. So, so we found one, you know, that was broke and so forth, and, and you know what you had? We had step-by-step -step instructions, and one of the guys, one of the kids in the class, he got ahead of the instructor. You know what the instructor did? Put him in the corner, disciplined him. You don't do that. Why? Because it's a methodical issue. And you know what happened? We put it all back together. It ran. I had no parts left over. He had parts left over. Why? He didn't do it in the order. If he had said, you're just dead to sin, what would we say? Okay. We would not understand the deepness of the information. Why are we dead to sin? Verse 3, verse 4, verse why? Because we have this identity. Look at verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. If we... Well, have we, be, have we been planted together in the likeness of his death? Yes, but how do you know that? Verse 3 and 4. That's how you know that. Why not just say, it's done? He wants you to think about this. He wants you to think about the consequences if this wasn't the case. Uh, look back there at chapter 5. Look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the life of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ, 
Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Why say, if, what's he doing? Hey, you see what happened with Adam? The opposite is who you are now in Christ. And you know how that happens? And he bounces back that contrast there. Come over to Galatians chapter 3. Oh, I love Galatians. Galatians is just full of this stuff. Look at Galatians 3. Galatians 3. He wants us to think about the way God has come to these conclusions. So the if is a provocation. Hans said it right. He's provoking you. He's provoking the reader to think. Not question it. it. But to think, and he uses questions, and he uses that if. Look, watch Galatians 3. Look at verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? He, he, the Galatian folks are the only ones that they, he ever called a fool. Romans 1, he says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. But here, he looks at the churches of Galatia, and he says, you are fools. Now, when he says foolish there, he's not talking about idiots or not knowing. He's talking about being lazy. He's talking about being slow-minded. He's talking about not thinking this through, not considering the consequences. Watch what he does. You, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Now watch. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of, hearing of faith? Notice the question. How did you receive? The Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the flesh or by the hearing of faith? What's the conclusion? Faith. Hearing of faith. Do you know where the Galatians were? No. Nope. Works, works of the flesh. They had, they had allowed someone to come in and to move them off of the truth. Paul says you're foolish. You're slow-minded. You're not paying attention. You're not being attentive to the consequences here. You see, there's consequences to moving away from the truth. Look at verse 2, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Look at the questions. He's like, guys, you're not thinking. You're not paying attention. Well, i got to get going. Verse 29, 329. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If ye be Christ. That's a fact, folks. You belong to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, you know what you are? You're heirs according to the promise. How do you know that? Verse 26, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Come over to Colossians 3. I'm just trying to show you how he's using the if, and it's designed to cause you to think. You don't need a Greek lecture. You don't need a Greek education. You just need to understand what Paul's doing. And you know how you understand that? By the context that it sits in. Look at 3.1. If ye then be risen with Christ. That is a true statement about our position. We are risen with Christ. Now let's think this through. If I'm risen with Christ, and it's a fact, Jack, then what should I be doing? Well, the rest of that verse. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. The only logical conclusion, I am risen with Christ, that's a fact. If ye be risen with Christ, that is a fact, a statement of, of certainty. Then what should I be doing? I ought to be seeking and setting on things above. I ought to be paying attention to that up there. You follow that? So the if 
and the if so be that, come back here to Romans 8 now. Let's get these, five for you. When you think about how Paul is teaching us, teaching the reader, educating the reader, he didn't just say, you're risen from Christ, and then move on to chapter 4, verse 1. Actually, the rest of chapter 3 of Colossians, he's talking about setting your affections on things above. It's fascinating how that spirit-filled life is going to look like in you, in your husband, in your wife, in your children, in your family, in your job, the whole bit. Here's what it looks like. And he does it quickly in Colossians because he's given you all the doctrine in Ephesians. Romans 8, verse 9. Here's the first, if so be that. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that, the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, what the critics say, the guys who say that the if so be that is conditioned upon, your, jo your joint heirship is conditioned upon you suffering, is then they say that, Christ, that the spirit does not dwell in you. That the Spirit comes in, identifies you, and then leaves. He doesn't dwell with you. <laughs> okay. You know, and we understand that to just not be the case. Come over quickly, if you will, to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Romans 8 verse 9 is a statement of fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And because of that, guess what we should not be doing? Walking in the flesh. Now look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee. I love that, that good thing. That form of sound words. That's the good thing. Sound doctrine. Which was committed unto thee. Keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. You come back, as you come back, come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Coming back to Romans 8. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Is there any, any there's no doubt that, that the Holy Spirit does what? Dwells in us. Actually, in Ephesians chapter 4, the one Spirit, one Lord, one Father, who isn't in, uh, you have the entire Godhead dwell in you actually. But when you look at, when you read Romans 8 verse 9, and we've been here in our study already, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. The fact is, is that because the spirit of God dwells in you, you're not to be living in the flesh. And the power source and the power center that helps you not live in the flesh is the fact that the spirit dwells in you. It's Galatians 5, over there in verse 24, where he talks there, again, we've seen this, where he says, oh, Galatians 5, oh, it's not 24, it's uh, verse 16, Then I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because you, are, you have the Spirit dwelling in you. Okay? Come over to 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the, well, actually, Romans 8, 17 is the next time he uses the if so be, but we're there. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. So the first time he uses that phrase, if so be that, he's talking about the fact is the Holy Spirit dwells in you, so knock it off. You, don't, you, you, have, you have the member of the Godhead, the power center, that will cause you not to walk in the flesh, but to cause you to come over here and walk in the Spirit. So let's do that. And by the way, in Romans, 9, verse, Romans 8, verse 9, 10, 11, and 12, that's what he's talking about. How to walk and how you know who you are. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, the largest chapter of Paul's epistles is about the issue of did Jesus rise from the dead? That's the issue. The issue of the resurrection of the dead. Now, it's fascinating when you see this. Because the context is about what? Did Christ rise from the dead? Look at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Because when Paul uses this 
in this case here, if so be that he's focusing the reader in on, yes, it's a fact that Christ died from, arose from the dead, but pay attention to the consequences if you believe he didn't. By the way, if you walk in the flesh, what's going to happen to you? You're going to have condemnation. Romans 8, 9. There's a consequence to it. If you walk in the Spirit, what are you going to have? Life and peace. Okay? That's verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, now watch, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God? We're liars? If we say Christ rose from the dead, you say we didn't. The consequences are is that there's nothing there. It's all vain. It's empty. And we're a bunch of liars because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he... Uh, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. Paul says, man, if you hold to the fact that Christ didn't rise and there is no resurrection of the dead, you are most men miserable. That's the consequences. But look in verse 15. If so be that the dead rise not. You need to think about, he's, what Paul's telling the Corinthians, us as readers as well, is you need to think about, if you hold to the fact that there is no resurrection of the dead, you need to be thinking about the consequences of that, then what are we doing? Sell the buildings and the property and let's go fishing. Now, the if so be there is not a condition, it's a what? It's a provoking of you to think about the consequences of what you are doing and saying. 2 Corinthians 5, number next. Second, I hope, is any of this making any sense? So when you read the if and Paul, don't go, uh-oh, just say, okay, what, what am I, it's like that word selah in Psalms. That word selah in Psalms is designed for Israel to pause a moment and think about what they just studied because it's connected with, their second, with the second coming of their Messiah and the kingdom being established. So pay attention. So for you and I, when Paul says, if so be, then we need to pause and, okay, what's he, what's he thinking about? 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 3. If so be that, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. All right, what's this about? Well, it's a fact is, is that we're going to be clothed. Well, what's the context about? Verse 1. By the way, verse 1. For we, what? No. We know something, don't we? That if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not... Made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What do we know? We got a future, don't we? A future guarantee of a new body. We know something. Verse 2, For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. For it, we're going to be clothed. If so be that being clothed. Are we going to be clothed with the new body? Yes, it's a fact. And we need to think about this. And we need to pay attention. By the way, 2 Corinthians 5, the first eight verses, is where the dead in Christ go right now. It's where they're at. Where are they? They're in the presence of the Lord. And what are they waiting for? That new body we talked about earlier. You know, they're down at the river of life and fishing for the rainbow trout. You know, <laughs> not really, but that's what, you know, religion tells you. Okay. We know something. By the way, how do we know? Well, go back up there to chap verse, uh, chapter 4. Look at verse 13. We have the same spirit of faith. We, um, ver, uh, 4.13, sorry. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. 
We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. You see verse 14? How do we know it? We got the word of God on the matter. And in verse 14, he gives you the, the, the issue of the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ, and the presentation to the Father. All in one verse. Bam, bam, bam. We know this. Now, you don't get the details here. You get the details in 1 Thessalonians, the whole book. We know something. Now, the last one, Ephesians 4. Quickly, you've got like three minutes, which doesn't mean anything to me. Look at Ephesians 4. Look at verse... It's verse 21. Look at verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ. This is the last time he'll say, if so be that. There's no doubt it's a fact that they didn't learn Verse 21, sorry, I was reading the wrong verse. It's a fact that they have heard Christ and have been taught by him. Now, how did they hear Christ? And how did, better yet, how did you hear it? You're the reader. How did you hear about Christ? And how did, you, how did he teach you? By Paul's epistles, by the word of God, the scripture. And Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes here, and he says, listen, you know what? The truth was given to me, and I gave you the truth, and you've heard. How do we preach Christ? According to the revelation of the mystery. We don't preach Christ according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. We preach Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret. We don't go over here and preach any other way. We preach it this way. We preach Christ crucified. Do you know that Peter, when he preached Christ crucified, it was a bad thing? It was a wicked, with wicked hands you've crucified the Lord. Peter's opinion of Calvary was a bad, bad thing. Do you know what Paul says, Galatians 6? He says, you know what, when I preach Christ crucified, I glory in the cross. Paul never talks about Calvary in a negative manner. It's always a positive. Why? Because how do we preach Christ? That way. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught of him. Paul is remi- Remember what I taught you. You know what? When I taught you, you know what you didn't learn? You didn't learn to go live like verse 17, 417. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind, having the understanding, and off you go. He says, man, I never taught you, Jesus Christ never taught you to go live like a pagan, to live like a heathen, to live like the Gentile lives. You didn't learn that from me. You didn't learn that from when I gave you the truth revealed to me. Now, come back to Romans 8 where we're at. Those times, again, the if, the if so be, Paul uses that method to teach us to think, to provoke the reader, to think through the issues, to think through the consequences, and to come to the same conclusions that God would have us come to, and you come there logically. You're not making a leap. The guys, I mean, I know the brethren that do, they mess up Romans 8, 17. They make it a condition, and they leap instantly into 2 Timothy and try to tie this stuff all together, and they say, your suffering has got to be X, Y, Z. And I said, who made, who made you God to decide that? Because when we get down into Romans 8, the suffering listed here has nothing to do, really, with going out on the mission field and taking one in the neck. That's, by the way, one of their little suffering things. You've got to be in the work of the ministry and doing it. And you've got to be out there and being beaten up. And it's like, no. You're already an heir. You're already a joint heir. And we're going to share in the fellowship of suffering with him. 
Because what are we waiting for? That future glory. But right now, we've got to go through this present time. And that present time is a time of suffering. So, a little technical this morning, but you need to see this because it gets thrown at us. Okay? By the way, you look at the punctuation in the verse, that, that impacts. They read right through the semicolon. They don't pay attention to it. And you know what their plea back is? is well, the 1611 didn't have it. Well, you know what? Then you should be studying and teaching completely out of the 1611. Good luck. Because you've got to train yourself to look at that stuff. Everybody in the room's book that you're looking at has a semicolon there. So now you've got to go study out with the semicolons and you know, all this stuff. No grammar lessons, okay? <laughs> all right? Now, next week we'll get into the sufferer issue and we'll get moving a little bit more maybe down into the passage. It's pretty straightforward. Paul uses the if to provoke you to think, to make you stop. If you ever see Paul repeat something twice, you better pay attention. He, said, he does that in Galatians 1. It's the clearest place. But he does it all through his epistles. He'll say it, and he'll say it, and I've got to say this again to you, and bam, you better pay attention. You know why? Because while we are searching as humans for something new, there's danger in something new. Yeah, Solomon, nothing new under the sun. You've got to pay attention to what's, you've got to get in and look at the details figure stuff out and when you do that how Paul provokes you to think is he uses an if okay all right well I took five minutes so I apologize but dear Heavenly father we thank you for the morning Lord we thank you for the study for the look into your word have that impact our lives on a daily basis in your name we pray amen